And we're now recording. All right. Welcome, everyone, to episode 12 of the Combative Conduct podcast. And with me today, I have a repeat guest. His name is Boris Milenkovic. He is the founder and training director and all that of True North Tradecraft. Uh, he can talk about that a little bit more in a little bit. Uh, but Boris is, uh, and I've been working together for several years now on several different projects. We've become uh, really good friends. And uh, so just uh, just real pleasure to have him on. So everyone, uh, please welcome Boris. Boris, how are you doing? Thanks for coming on. Thank you, TJ. I'm doing great. Uh, you know, all cooped up inside under uh, self-isolation, but otherwise uh, healthy and doing well. So yeah, You're good. thanks. I can see a healthy beer. I gotta, I'm actually, because I, I'm, I, I'm trying to, I do the family grocery shopping and yeah. I'm still to and from work as an essential worker. Uh, I got to shave this down so I can get that good seal on my face for the, uh, for the masks. So I'll just save this last podcast to try and relish it. And you know, I, I don't want to come on a podcast with you and not have a comparable beard. <laughs> well, I actually haven't touched my beard because I haven't had a, uh, a barber around. So I have no haircut. So you can see I'm totally losing my mind with that it's like even going over my ears and uh and my beard's going crazy but i have to thank educated beards for the amazing beard oil that's uh kind of keeping me uh keep me still slick you know manageable so i would highly recommend if you're cooped up give them a check out it's uh it looks on this end it looks long enough to still calm do you do you do uh, like a calm or anything like that or a brush uh, yeah, yeah. I use one of their their boar hair brushes, and uh, it's actually quite nice with their um, uh, their peppermint and cedar uh, beard oil. So uh, it does the trick. It does the trick. It's really great. There, uh, I do I do love the because you uh, for Christmas and you got me a couple yeah. of these products, and I do love the peppermint. But I got to tell you that uh, bergamo it was like a bergamot grapefruit. I think. It yeah, was. yeah. Something special about that smell. <laughs> yeah, there, I, I I tend to use that one for warmer weather days and stuff like that. But yeah, it's yeah. uh it's a uh, yeah they're they have some really great products. So uh, yeah, big fan. <laughs> yeah, cool. Uh, before we get started, so uh, we're just chilling out again. We're obviously in a pandemic, and so we're kind of mostly uh, at home. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I was much. on a, I was an off day today, so I've been having a couple of sips of my favorite beverage. So I just want to. Yeah, I'm not. There's no like paid product placement, but I got this to uh, <laughs> my lower glass here, my little Canadian Collingwood, my favorite whiskey. And uh, <clears throat> anyways, to, to sit during the podcast, and you and you have uh, you have one there. It's like another Canadian one. What do you have going yes, on? Yes, yes, I do. I have a uh, Alberta Premium Dark Horse. It's a forty-five uh, percent. Um, nice little bottle there. But, uh, you know, I make sure to drink it in my um, Arrowhead <laughs> coffee cup. It's not do. just for coffee. So you have Alberta, Dark, yeah, 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 the uh, Alberta Premium Dark Horse, Collingwood, Arrowhead Coffee, True North Tradecraft, Kennedy Tactical. <laughs> it's all Canadian theme. That's right. So uh, and, to to mix the and Irish Gray Man, That's right, and Greyman because it is the spot for learning the next level tactical skills in Canada. It's the that's only right. conference like it. So I was thinking about how we could start this off, and I want to mark it with a little cheers. Now, the Irish cheers is slancha, but I'm Irish-Canadian, so I want to add uh, slanche. Slanche, eh? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, slanche. All right. I found in the pad podcast I had with Amanda, which actually was just the last one. Yeah. <clears throat> I had my tea. And that, when I was going through and editing, I could hear like myself slurping the tea and sniffling. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, everyone listening, please forgive us for uh, 
the slurpy noises, especially if you're not watching and you wonder what the hell that is. It's just a sip that, from our whiskey. That'll get worse <laughs> as the as the podcast progresses, right? The slurping yeah, and yeah. the slurring will both the get slurring, worse yeah. as, as the podcast. Uh, that's, that's where you just yeah, kind just, of like end up like this and yeah. <laughs> fall off. <laughs> So Boris, when I've had you on the podcast before, it's always been uh, with somebody else. Like on the first, you were on my first podcast and it was yep. with uh, our mutual friend, Dave Bowen. Yep. I had you on podcast episode three with Ace Johnson. And actually, I think that was it. I don't think I've had you yeah. on since then. But yeah, I've it's never, been a long while. It's been a while. I've never had you on by yourself. So we kind of, we've talked about different projects we have on the go and different topics uh, in, in our industries, but I've never really kind of prodded and asked about you and introduced the audience to you, who you are and what you do. So Start out there, like uh, you know. I, I I know I know you pretty well, but yeah. uh, I don't know if everybody watching does. So, uh, who the hell are you? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, I guess um, uh, still serving uh, since 1998 with Indian Armed Forces as a reservist. Um, started out infantry intelligence and still uh, serving as a military police member. Uh, in line with that, uh, ex government uh, was a customs officer. And then after that, uh, worked for the Department of Transport in their security and emergency preparedness division, both in aviation and marine security and uh, emergency preparedness, business continuity, et cetera, for, uh, for that. And then on top of all of that, I uh, did a lot of time on my own out of the country, learning from various experts in the fields of urban survival, uh, counter custody, covert entry, that sort of stuff. And um, uh, and have brought that kind of back to Canada uh, after 12 or so years. So doing that. So all those things have kind of been in, in line with one another. Um, and now I'm uh, running True North Tradecraft. So uh, it's a, a small consultancy firm out of Toronto. Uh, we focus on personal security, resilience training, uh, urban survival. Uh, that includes things like covert entry and physical security. It also includes... Uh, counter custody, uh, restraint escape, uh, kidnapping, survival and awareness, uh, as well as situational awareness, behavioral analysis, and um, uh, other hood rat shit. Right. So um, yeah, so we uh, we focus on all those areas, but uh, ultimately just trying to give people the tools to uh, to leave lead safer, <coughs> more secure lives day to day. Now, you, uh, you said you traveled to get a lot of these skills, and that's the one thing that I know about you that maybe not everybody is aware of, and that is, and then correct me if I'm wrong here, because yeah. I, may, I may have my facts uh, all mixed up, but as far as I know, <clears throat> you are the only person in the entire country, or the only firm in the entire country, that is presenting uh, the knowledge on how to do things like pick locks, uh, escape different restraints kind of all together. Is that accurate? Um. No, no. Uh, and to be be very clear as the differentiation b behind it, there are locksmiths that do this sort of training uh, for law enforcement um, and other kinds of locksmith businesses and associations that train locksmiths and law enforcement. Okay. Uh, so as far as I know, I'm the only person who does it openly to this Civilians. kind of civilian world. Okay. okay. Um, now, when I do training, uh, be it personal security stuff in which I do the restraint escapes, um, I, as far as I know, I'm the only person who teaches civilians the restraint escape stuff uh, in Canada. I know that uh, others have tried it or um, have dabbled in it, but nobody that I know of, and I've looked, but nobody that I know of is 
putting it out there for the, for the public to access. Um, that being said, the information that I teach to the public uh, in the public realm is different from what I teach to verified military law enforcement government agencies. Um, so I have an open uh, package and I have a restricted material package. Okay? Okay. So the stuff that I teach to um, when I run uh, covert entry concepts uh, and it's an open enrollment for the public, that's one set of skills. But when I've taught it to governments, uh, government <clears throat> agencies, that is a completely different thing. We take it to another level and we show a lot of stuff that we wouldn't otherwise show uh, that isn't widely available in the public realm, right? Uh, and a lot of restricted material. Like to the uh, chest, one to the head? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, yeah the, the Mozambique drill, right. yeah. So, yeah. Um, so that, that sort of thing. And, and um, especially with the restraints escape stuff, uh, with the restricted material, you don't want to get into stuff that the bad guys will know that you know, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't want to really put it out there. So uh, the restricted material, I keep uh, close to my chest. And I only teach it to, uh, to those verified persons that have that, those reasons to, to know it. Uh, and everything else that's taught uh, is, uh, is open, unclassified, that sort of stuff. Uh, you know, uh, it's, it's still open source, but it's not been uh, uh, put together uh, and presented by anybody else uh, that I know of in Canada. So cool. pretty much I'm the, as far as I know, I'm the only game in town, especially <laughs> in Toronto. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. And uh, that's what I appreciate uh, about you as well is that, uh, you know, I, I come from the kind of hand-to-hand -hand combat, self-defense, fighting world, martial arts world. And uh, that is, you know, when it comes to self-defense, we always talk about, we, you know, right now everyone's talking about situational awareness, behavioral analysis is really big. Uh, before that became a big thing, people are talking about like <clears throat> all the kind of physical components and combatants components. But uh we never really look at what happens when all that fails <laughs> or, when yeah. you or when you never even got to it because, you know, the predator or the criminal had the advantage, they got the jump on you or whatever. And, uh, and, and now you're restrained. Now you, you've been kidnapped. You're unable to overcome them, whatever the case is. And now you're in a pickle and you got to get yourself out. Uh, especially for those uh, having done some security in Mexico, <clears throat> um, it was like half vacation, half work. <laughs> Uh, and, and, and running some trouble down there. You can just see how easily it can happen. And uh, so it's just a really nice compliment to work together with you to be able to present that to people, to give them kind of a full spectrum approach to self-defense. Like how do you spot the trouble before it becomes trouble? How to deal with the trouble when you're in it? And then if the trouble overcame you and now you're in real, like you're in more hot water, the deeper the water goes, you need to have a, uh, a skill or an, an, a strategy for uh, every level there. So I really well, appreciate that. Well, that's just it. Like um, the, one of the, uh, the instructors that I've trained with, um, Carl from uh, Oscar Delta, um, he, you know, always says, you know, always have an escape plan. And um, uh, Ed Calderon uh, from Ed's Manifesto, you know, uh, software over hardware, um, and, uh, Kevin Reeve from on point tactical, another person I've worked with, same thing, training Trump's gear. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so being able to have the knowledge and the, the capability to use skills. So not necessarily having the best gear, but being able to use your environment to fashion gear, um, to use to your advantage, to better your situation. That's what we want to teach people, those problem solving skills, those abilities, uh, and, you know, to be able to use your environment to, to make your situation better. Um, but you're right, like, um, and that's one great thing I like working with you amongst so many others, but um, 
is that when we when we teach together, you know, we both kind of work on that before side. You know, the the first section, which is avoidance for the most part, and we wanna we wanna push that because we're not looking to get into fights with people. Mm-hmm. Um, so you and I both are able to play off one another, and we can present a lot of material from different angles. And then with the combative stuff. Uh, you and I both have different approaches to it. It's more your bag to teach it because I pretty much am just going to say, you know, gouge an eye and run, right? So <laughs> I stick to I stick to, to to very few very few things that I go for, and that's that's kind of it. But you have a, a really great system that you build in uh, that people can take a lot from. And then when we get into the afterwards, oh, it didn't work. You know, you got drugged, you got uh, you know uh, taken either by surprise or um, or something else, and you're in a pickle. And now you've got to get out. So uh, like one of the videos uh, I put up was, you know, being handcuffed to a radiator or zip tied, you know, up and stuff like that. And what kind of tools or what kind of methods are available to be able to get yourself out of that. Um, so uh, when we've done our, our annual women's day uh, events, you know, we get into some of those scenarios where, you know, you're, you're, you're in a cab and the cab driver doesn't want to take you where you want to go. Uh, what do you do? Right. So, uh, some of those, some of those things that we're talking about, you know, dealing with either the cab driver themselves, what tools do you have on your person? What you should you have in your purse or whatever? And then how you can use the, the vehicle itself and, uh, and go from there and what your options are. And we get into that. And, uh, I think that's a, that's a really great dynamic that we have that we can bring a lot of good information. Um, you know, and, and with that, when, uh, when we put on our, uh, our gray man conference in October, it was such a great success because uh, we had the different perspectives. Uh, mine, we had yours, but we had four others as well from the instructors. And everybody was able to bring their particular expertise together. And I think that that brought so much extra value to people because I can tell you one methodology or one way of dealing with a certain problem, but that doesn't necessarily make it foolproof or you know that it's going to work every single time so instead uh you know having more tools for that toolbox right having more uh more options and uh uh, a different perspective on that uh, is going to give you a higher probability uh, ideally of being able to uh, get yourself out safely so there's been twice now uh that you've mentioned gray man um since we started the podcast <clears throat> now uh, a lot of people have been following uh, you and I for a while now and they kind of know what we're talking about, but there's always new people jumping on and catching, you know, they'll maybe catch a clip on YouTube or Instagram or something and they don't know what the hell we're talking about. Well, they but- really should. Shouldn't they? <laughs> they so I mean, should. <laughs> they should because Greyman is Canada's premier uh, training event uh, held in October. Uh, it's held here in the greater Toronto area and uh, it features six instructors. Um, TJ, you're one of them. I'm one of them, and uh, there's four others, and we all teach our specialties, whatever they are, uh, to a group of people throughout two and a half days. Uh, so in October, mine was uh, uh, tradecraft skills specific to restraint escape. So I did handcuffs, and I also did um, non-metallic restraints over two days. Um, and we get into that. Uh, the The great part about it is that we're able to bring a collection of, of people who really want to learn, but also a great cadre of instructors. There's nothing like it in Canada. And on top of all that, uh, a 
portion of our proceeds goes to mm-hmm. help fight human trafficking, which is the, the you know, it's a big plague of our, of our society right now. And uh, we work with uh, a couple of really great groups and um, uh, fight for freedom was ours in October. Seam <laughs> um, technic was uh, one of our sponsors uh, and, um, and, you know, being able to give people those, uh, those options and give them, give them some really good material and information to be able to spot uh, the signs of human trafficking and do something about it. A lot of the uh, attendees, even though they worked in law enforcement or in social services of various kinds, weren't aware of a lot of those, uh, those indicators. So when we had those talks and uh, the, we had that presentation, they were able to take something back to their, their, uh, their work day and, uh, and be able to share that uh, at their jobs as well and uh, hopefully you know, make a positive impact. Uh, you mentioned <clears throat> we uh, give a portion of the proceeds to uh, fight for freedom to help fight human trafficking. Uh, we did that with our Women's Day event as well, and we were actually yeah. we were actually able to. Uh, so COVID nineteen kind of came along, and everything yeah. got <laughs> shut down like like the fucking day before we were going to run a seminar, basically. So we basically did like an emergency last minute cancel postpone, excuse me, until this yeah, all settles down. <clears throat> but people had registered, they paid some money, so we forward the, forward that, forwarded that along to the organization. But uh, since COVID happened, there's, I've just uh, pulled this up on Instagram from our friend Ronell, Ronell Bruder's uh, Rise.Initiative. Yeah. And there's a Netflix documentary coming out for this girl named Santoya Brown. Have you heard of her? Uh, I, I follow, Ronell, uh, follow Ronell, but um, I uh, – no, not off the top okay. of my head. Or maybe I do and. <laughs> So there's a, a, a documentary coming out. Santoya Brown was uh, bought as a, as a sex slave, essentially. She was trafficked and uh, when she was 15 years old. And, and I don't know the full details, but when she was 16, she killed her abuser. She killed her, her trafficker. And uh, she's been in prison since. And it was like 15 years of advocacy. Because of COVID-19 and when they're releasing so many people from jail, oh, yeah, she got clemency. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> now she is fine. Fi- okay, so that's, yeah, I... Not good with names, right, but right. I, I do remember the story. Yes, so good for her. It's sad that uh, it took 15 years for that. Uh, Kat, I was telling Kat about that today, and uh, she mentioned, you know, she goes, wow, she was in jail for literally half of her entire life at this point. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, that's, and that's, that's terrible. Like she, uh, uh, without getting, you know, political, because we like to stay apolitical in our, in our dealings, but um, that's a really unfortunate and terrible place that she found herself in. But I am happy to hear that she's getting out of jail. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Man. I was, uh, I was just talking to uh, Scott Burden. He was on uh, episode oh, yeah. 10, yep. but he lives in, uh, he lives in Sarnia. So there's your border town. And uh, I've been out there a couple of times to work with uh, a security team out there to do some use of force training. And uh, it's just, you look at those small sleepy towns <laughs> like Aurelia or um, where the OPP headquarters is yeah, yeah. <laughs> or Sarnia, stuff like that, where the population like negative 17 and they have uh, just like the, the temperature. <laughs> they have some of the biggest uh, drug and human trafficking problems in those sleepy little towns like bear. What was it bear? <clears throat> and I'm going to have to fact check this, but as I say it, I believe uh, Barry is twice the national average of uh, trafficking, uh, very human trafficking stats. Let's see what Google says. 
Yeah. Human, trafficking, Google. human trafficking in Barrie is double the national rate, published February 26, 2020. So, yeah. Yep. It, it, and, you know, you, you, wonder, <laughs> you wonder why uh, I would hazard a guess that it's, um, it's a <clears throat> transit point, right? It's a very yeah. fast-growing yeah. community, and it's, it's a transit point. There's so much that goes through there going up north and coming back, right? It's also fairly close to Toronto. Yeah. Um, within commuting distance. So you can get a lot of traffic back and forth. So, um, yeah, that, that's a bad thing. So, um, I'm glad that, uh, you know, the efforts we put forward for, uh, our women's day event and for, uh, gray man that, uh, it goes towards, uh, combating that. So, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, running the, the women's day event once COVID is behind us and, uh, obviously running uh, gray man again this October. So, yeah, so that's, it's really interesting because the plans, the plans Plans. are to run it October 23rd to 25th. Um, But we don't really know how this is going to play out with this pandemic, do we? Or how long it's going to last, when a vaccine is going to be made available, any, any of that stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, every day, all you hear on the news uh, is the COVID-19 update, COVID-19 update, open up the TV all it is is COVID-19. It took Canada's largest mm. uh, mass shooting in history mm. to happen yesterday to get something else on the news. And um, our sincerest and deepest condolences to the three peace officers that were lost, the RCMP officer, two corrections officers, uh, a second RCMP officer was wounded, and then now I think the count was what 15 or 16 more people that were dead. Um, so national tragedy in Nova Scotia, but, uh, it, it sucks that, you know, that's all, that's what it took to, to hear something else on the news. Um, so what's going to happen as far as our country kind of changing from that? Um, yeah, I know it scares me. Actually, to be honest, <laughs> like I, I, I see us, uh, and again, without with staying kind of apolitical, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if we start to make moves to, and we start to look a little bit more like the UK or Australia when it comes to that. But I can see it right now. I mean, we're we're allowed to have guns with a license, and uh, certain guns we are, anyways. And uh, I, I just I can see it really kind of taking it taking a turn from here i you know i don't know but that's i i get a i get a this looming feeling <laughs> yeah yeah i like i i'm hoping that um you know we we've flattened the curve uh substantially enough or significantly enough that people can uh venture out live their lives everybody's going to get sick from it eventually right uh it's just the way it's going to go as as more people venture out more people are going to get infected the, the challenge has been if everybody gets infected all at once, yeah. it overloads the, the health system. But now um, my understanding is there's some hospitals in the, in the Toronto area are running at a, just over 50% capacity. So they actually have a fair amount of space and a fair amount of capacity to deal with surge of people, right? Not too big, but they, they have space. So as people come in, they're able to deal with them effectively. They have enough staff, they have enough machines, etc. So, that's a very positive development because on the front end we were really overloaded Mm -hmm. and now we're looking at 
you know, the ability to deal with a slight uptick. So if they start <coughs> releasing, you know, the restrictions or, or um, making them a bit, a bit relaxed, we can start going out there. More people will get sick. Yes. Um, but people will still have access to medical care and hopefully everybody can kind of get it, recover from it and be okay with it. Right. Which is their own vaccine, right? It's, it's you, you build your antibodies and then it's not an issue anymore. Right. So for the most part, so who knows how that, how long that's going to take and, and what's going to happen with it. Uh, a lot of it has to do with just um, logistics um, and being able to restart the economy. But uh, I'm not an economist. I'm not going to comment too much on how they're going to restart everything. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm looking forward to being able to just kind of like get back on track with, with a lot of the projects that, uh, that we had on for, for this year. Uh, most of which have been scrapped simply yeah. because we yeah. we can't we don't have the ability to to meet with people in person, mm. um, which kind of sucks because if you're a guy who does training in person <laughs> with people, it's like yeah. you know it's it's a little different. You can't really do a lot of the stuff that I do virtually because right. uh, a lot of it is tactile and uh, a lot of it has to be experienced. So I could sit there and talk to you about it all day, but unless you're actually doing it, you're not going to understand what I'm what I, I mean. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, while we're talking about COVID and kind of what life's like right now, what it's going to be like, when it's going to be that way, uh, I'd like to take a minute because <clears throat> uh, I've got people send me like forwarded WhatsApp messages or screenshots of like Facebook posts or something of like, you know, the sky is falling to the worst degree. Yeah, like I had one post. I, I got it sent both. Is from, that because of five G? <laughs> yeah, no, nothing. I've never seen it. I know that's a thing, but I've not been. You know, five G is going to scramble your DNA and all that yeah. shit. But uh, nothing about five G. But I mean, I, I'll, I'll highlight two posts uh, specifically. So the first one came to me from two different sources, and it was, uh, "Hey, there's a lot of police out, and they're pulling people over now. If you're not doing essential travel, if you're." If you're going anywhere else other than to home or to work that they'll stop you and they're going to ask if there's more than three people in the car where you're going and you can get fined up to a thousand dollars and they send a link to the emergency response uh emergency response ontario right so i look at this really? I'm, like, I'm like what the fuck I said, i've never heard about this why did i not hear about this why am i getting a facebook post from someone that's saying the gestapo are going to check your papers yeah yeah <laughs> so, exactly exactly so i, I look at well i i sorry to interrupt i look yeah. it up uh, emergency response Ontario. I look at the emergency response and civil protection act and I'm like nothing. It says, yes, if you disobey an order in a state of emergency, you can be fined this. Yep. Nowhere does it say you're going to get fucking pulled. Over. I looked under the traffic, uh, like the traffic regulations and that it basically says they have the power to close a road if they need to. And nothing about stopping you and checking your fucking papers. <laughs> well, yeah, because nobody has papers, you know, exactly. it's like it's it, no, nothing's ha happening that's that's really like that worrisome um on the street right uh the what was it like last week there's people freaking out like oh my god you're gonna see army trucks pulling through toronto and stuff <laughs> okay that's but does anybody yeah. does anybody have a clue what the hell they were doing no they're all going to Borden and staging there yeah. um uh to self-isolate right yeah. uh the army was trying <laughs> to create a surge capacity in case it needed to draw on on soldiers to help out uh, somewhere in Ontario, mm -hmm. and so they all had to be isolated. So they had to be 
two weeks clean, essentially, right, to right. make sure nobody's sick so that they could then be sent out if required. The province hasn't asked for, for military help, yeah. so there they sit. Yeah. Right? Like That, that was uh, – yeah. That was the second piece, which was uh, <clears throat> a friend of my wife sent her a message. Hey, and this was, and it pisses, it really angers me. <laughs> like <clears throat> the people that are sending me information may be like nice, like innocently motivated and they're trying to help out. But it's like, it, it really, it really actually fucking gets my hair up on end because uh, it was like, you know, my, I, my sister's friend of a friend of a sister of a friend has like a friend that's high up in the government and they say the government has been planning this since like March 1st. It's going to be martial law. It's coming as of this date. Uh, and I'm like, martial law. I'm like, what the, what the fucking martial law? Are you kidding? I'm like, no, who's, where are you getting this information? So I reached out to you. Yeah. My own, because actually my wife asked me, she goes, can you reach out to Boris and ask? I'm like, this, they're not martial law. Like you would know, they would tell, like you would know, you would know that it's coming. I said, but, Okay, I'll, I'll reach out and I'll, I'll ask yeah. Boris. And so, I, and uh, and that's exactly what you told me. Is they yeah, they're staging, they're helping with floods, you know, uh, construction, yeah. distributing medical gear, whatever. Like they're logistics, right? Yeah, it's it, and and nothing has actually happened because the province hasn't asked for help. So the army can't actually do anything until the province asks the federal government for support, mm -hmm. right? So they're all getting ready, but because COVID is kind of overlapping with the flood season. Um, they're they're looking at how you know we're going to need people to start you know filling sandbags and doing that sort of thing uh probably sooner rather than later so you know doing the prudent thing getting us set up and you know being ready for that so i think they're doing a pretty good job with that um but when you hear stories like that like even non-military just think to yourself this is is the city like if, if we're in toronto is the place burning like are people like like burning entire buildings down? Are there riots in the street and looting and you know wanton like violence everywhere? The answer is no. <laughs> wanton violence is funny because yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. no comment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but but just ask yourself: Is that what's going on? No. So why would they want to impose restrictions on people who are voluntarily restricting themselves? Um, when I have to go out for groceries everybody stands in an orderly line to get into the grocery store. Yeah. There's no fighting. No. Um, there's no violence. Everybody's cool. You know, people go in, they do their thing, they leave, mm -hmm. they stay at home. They walk, you know, they, you walk down the sidewalk and someone's coming towards you. Someone steps out into the middle of the yeah. road. So they, and then they can pass. And then they wave. And then they wave. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's like, you know, I've seen so many memes that are like, this apocalypse sucks. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like I asked for zombies and this is what I got, you know, yeah, no doubt. And, and you get what you but, get. You don't get upset. <laughs> that's, that's right. And so you can't really look at, you know, the situation that we're in and say, well, the, the military is coming and they're going to, you know, they're going to like come after us or something. What for people are, are at home voluntarily. You know, it's not like some places in the States which are having these huge protests and stuff and they're going out there and no masks, no social distancing, nothing. Yeah. And that whole crowd is going to end up getting sick yeah. and spiking uh, cases. So here, I mean, I, from some of the police that I've talked to, uh, there's, there's a little bit of violence in, in the sense that, or correction, 
violence used to break, break and enter. So mm. uh, businesses are being robbed because they're empty, but they're boarded up. So, right. you know, someone smashes a window, goes in, grabs some stuff and leaves. Right. There's been a, a, an uptick of that and there's been an uptick in uh, domestic violence. That's right. And uh, well, we're, to kind of bridge that with trafficking, uh, well, trafficking, any kind of abused person, it's like, yeah. okay, we're, we have to stay at home. We have to stay isolated. So now I am trapped at home with my abuser. That's what right. the fuck do I do? So, and, yeah. uh, I, and again, Kat and I were talking about this yesterday and it's like, there, no, no one's able to, there's, there's been a reduction. She said there's been a reduction in, in domestic abuse calls because mm. the abuse, like I'm the abused wife, let's say, or the abused partner or child, like I can't leave the house to make a call. Right. Or the abuser doesn't leave the house after the, the violence has taken place That's right. That's right. and make a call. That's right. That's right. So it's, That's right. Um, there has been that uptick, um, which, is, which is terrible. But when it comes to kind of the, you know, rioting and, you know, kind of, you know, lawlessness out on the street, um, there hasn't apparently been all that much. You don't hear anything about it on the news because it's, pretty much not happening um the only thing is is that there's a lot of um displaced people like drug addicts um uh emotionally disturbed people and stuff like that that would go to places to be able to either get their fix or to get treatment and those places have been shut down right. so you have a higher number of them out on the street now yeah and fewer people out on the street like kind of normal people that are um not usually they're usually the balance for that right like somebody who's kind of tweaking or something like that in a crowd of people isn't really going to start something right. but when you've reduced that crowd to one or two it's mm. a little different right right so the the social balancing isn't there uh and the, the kind of group dynamics isn't there so that's made things a little bit different but for the most part i mean whenever i i leave the house or uh, uh whenever i go to the grocery store whatever I haven't seen anything like that personally. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's there's no like martial law coming in, you know, or bullshit like that. I mean, you know, what are you going to do? Go in your home. I'm already in my home. You know, okay, well, stay in your home. I'm staying in my home. I don't want to get sick. You know, it's like pull over. I already am pull over. Pull over farther, you know, like if you ever saw yeah. Super Troopers. So, yeah. I mean, um, yeah. <laughs> Meow. <laughs> Meow, yeah. Um, just to, to backtrack a bit, when I was talking about the domestic uh, assault victims being trapped kind of with their abusers, this little thing was, again, rise initially. Uh, you can't even see that, can you? There you go. Uh, if you stop moving it, yeah. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I saw, yeah, I reposted that actually. Yeah, so, so for those of you that can't see the thing, uh, and you can check out the Canadian Women's Foundation on Instagram, at Canadian Women's Foundation. But essentially it's saying if you're on like a video call like this, like the Zoom call or you're on WhatsApp or you're talking to somebody, you make the fist with your thumb inside, basically, hold that up. And that's like a silent way of saying, I'm being abused, I need help. And I mean, that person obviously needs to know what the fuck you're doing <laughs> with this little signal. But then, uh, you know, if you go to Canadian Women's Foundation, they have kind of some resources in, in, on how you can get help if you are in a situation. So please go, uh, go check them out if that is your... You know, or if you know somebody that is their, their uh, situation, feed them that information at the very least. Yeah. Um, <laughs> excellent. Uh, I, I see behind you there, uh, I touched on a little bit. There's a little yeah. sign there. It says, boring is best. Uh, can you 
And we're talking about Grayman a bit. Can you explain? Can you explain the meaning so, behind that? Uh, well, okay. So it, to to be, uh, I I don't take any credit for that. That's actually my my wife putting up um, art throughout my house. Um, so she picked that. But um, I like it in the sense that when we talk about things like personal protection and violence mitigation, we're not looking for conflict and we're not looking for violence. So. Uh, boring is the best way to have that. We don't, you know, we're not, we're not looking to, to get hurt or to hurt others. Um, so yeah, in that case, boring is best. So uh, that's why I sat in this part of the house. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we uh, push avoidance uh, as our primary goal uh, because, you know, you don't know who, who or what you're up against uh, with somebody uh, on the street. So best to just not be a part of it. Mm -hmm. uh, get out uh, you know, avoid it, uh, identify it before it, as it evolves or before it happens and, uh, you know, uh, better your position, uh, use positioning and get yourself out of there. Um, because, you know, uh, I'd sooner not, uh, I'd sooner win by not rolling the die and having that, uh, that chance of, of being injured yeah, or, or yeah. killed. Right. So, doing whatever, uh, do whatever yeah. you can to basically not show up on someone's radar, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. I mean, I, I don't mind showing up on someone's radar. I mind uh, being targeted on that radar, right? Fair so, enough, yeah. Um, and, um, you know, if I, can, uh, if I can avoid it, then uh, that's, that's the best policy, right? Uh, uh, don't be there when bad things happen. So, yeah, boring is best. <laughs> <laughs> you talked about... Uh, again, traveling to do different kinds of training and stuff like that uh, and bringing that training back to Canada. Uh, one of the things you've put together, well, there's a bit of, well, I'll talk about, you sent me something today to, to kind of review and we'll touch on that a little bit, but there's, you have a couple of books out. It, well, it's, it's like one book, it, second volume. <laughs> yeah, second volume. And I happen to have a copy of it there right here. Yeah. <laughs> the Trino Tricap Disaster Preparedness Guide, okay, uh, oh. which is timely. I mean, yes. and just to, just to put it out there, like Boris isn't one of those guys trying to fucking make money off a of pandemic. He had that out two years ago. Was it two years ago? It was the first edition. Yeah, well, first edition came out two years ago. Yeah. The second edition came out uh, last August. And um, you and I, when we were at the, the various shows and even at uh, TACCOM, um, shout out to TACCOM, uh, uh, in September, uh, this, was, this was being sold. And uh, I remember people were, were saying, well, what, you know, what do I need that for? Right. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> and of course, of course, you know, at the time, this is September. Um, uh, the mist, the Wuhan, um, mystery virus didn't start showing up till, uh, November. Um, it was, it existed before that, but, uh, it started kind of their reports of that sort of thing in, in September. Um, and then, uh, I found out about it in November, but when people were saying, well, what, what do I need that for? It's like, well, <laughs> you have to look at a situation where you may not be able to leave your house for a week or more, um, you know, and the goal of the, the, the book is to be able to be completely self-sufficient, resilient, um, you know, if you have no power, no water, nothing for at least a week. Um, okay. The situation we have ourselves in now um, is pretty good, uh, all things considered. Our utilities are running. Uh, that's key. So everybody still has running water, still has heat, hydro. Um, your garbage collection is still happening. Your water, you know, your sewage, <laughs> right? Um, and you still have access to food, right? People can still go out to the grocery store and still get food. Yeah, you might have to wait an hour in line, 
but it's there, right? So these aren't bad situations. Um, but the the book is built on is built on the uh, the concept of being completely self sufficient and self reliant for a week, hundred hours, um, and uh, uh, being able to scale from there. So if you lay the foundation properly, uh, de depending on what level of preparedness you're going for beyond that, uh, you can you can scale because if you if you learn about or go out and learn uh, wilderness survival, for instance, you're going to learn about certain things that you need to survive. Things like heat and fire and water, uh, shelter, right? Um, food, the ability to cook your food, all these sorts of things. And um, a lot of those, those issues are, are the same in an urban environment. Uh, most people live in, you know, small smaller dwellings in a city because there's more people crammed together so you have a lot of condo dwellers a lot of people live in townhouses um things like that apartments and even if you have just a small condo that shouldn't put you in a position where you're not able to be self-reliant for at least a week mm -hmm. um so a lot of the the principles of apply equally you know shelter where well your apartment is your shelter essentially right um, along with, you know, blankets and, and your clothes and stuff like that, that can keep you safe from the elements. Mm -hmm. Um, having alternate means of heat in your house, uh, alternate means of, uh, cooking, right. Uh, light, those types of things. And those are, there's various ways to achieve that goal. Uh, and depending on what your situation is and what your budget is, you can, you can play with that. Uh, being able to store food, um, doesn't always have to be this big, you know, massive pantry or something like that you can look at if it's just yourself what is your caloric intake for a day and you can draw that out for a week and if you want to go beyond that you can take steps to to go beyond that right and i, I lay the, all that out on how to create that framework that you can build upon okay so um so that's that was um that was uh what the basis of this book was but I touch on things like health and sanitation um, in the book, but not specifically for a pandemic. Right. So what I've done since this kind of happened is can I, I show the together, picture. Or should I not? <laughs> uh, you can show the cover. You okay. can show the cover. I'll show the cover. Um, yeah. yeah. There it is. <laughs> pandemic. It's called uh, pandemic measures, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I think, yeah, I did. I downloaded it earlier. It was just before the podcast. So I didn't have a chance to take a look at it. Well, that's okay. So, um, uh, I developed, uh, a booklet that, uh, is ultimately going to be a, um, pandemic measures. There you go. Craft. Look at that sexy yep. thing. Look <laughs> at that. Um, so that's, uh, it's a standalone booklet. Um, it's, uh, about 30 pages long. 40. And it's <laughs> 40 pages. Start, oh, was it 40? Oh yeah. 40 pages. So. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of editing going by. There's a lot more <laughs> than that when we started. Um, but, um, uh, anyway, so it was, it's geared towards providing, um, best practices for dealing with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Right. So, uh, looking at the severity of what we're dealing with now and the situation that it's in. So how to best not only prepare yourself for it, but also, to uh, to deal with it as it as it happens. So if you take that, um, uh, I guess, add-on chapter to the book, which is what it eventually will become, 
Um, but uh, as a standalone to give you best practices for, uh, for making it through the pandemic. Uh, but also when it's added on to the other principles in the book and the other chapters uh, will be a, a, a complete, uh, uh, complete plan for, uh, for disaster preparedness, because this is, this is a disaster that we're dealing with, right? Yeah. Um, you look at the scale of it. Uh, there's not a single, not a single sector of, the world that hasn't been uh, affected by this in some way. So uh, yeah, it is a global pandemic and uh, uh, with a little bit of preparation uh, and a little bit of, of planning, you can really make a difference in the way that uh, it affects you. It's amazing. Uh, I find that you have this tiny little, and I don't know how fucking how many micrometers the virus is, Yeah. but when you think of uh, how this, like you think obviously it can affect humans, but, what was really eye-opening for me anyways was how it can affect things that you think a virus wouldn't affect like supply chain you know yep i never thought like tulip fever or that that we would have like like fights over toilet paper or i go to walmart to get some groceries and there's literally not a single toilet paper paper towel baby wipe in sight yep. i go to costco costco actually I went to Costco the other day and walked away because it was like a two hour lineup. There's no way I was doing that for a couple of groceries. So I'm like, I'll wait for the big haul when I have to go. But uh, they have, they have like the toilet paper and everything, but there's signs that they're limiting like one per person, gloves, one per person, sanitizer, one per person. And like yep. you said, everyone's being pretty civil, but it, it's crazy how other things outside of health and the, yes. and you think of how COVID can overwhelm the medical system. If everyone gets infected and like floods the hospitals, but the other things like groceries, getting your food on time, like those things we don't. And that's why it's so important to be prepared at home for at least a week because hey, I need to do my grocery shopping. I have th two kids, one on the way. I have, a fr I need to go do the grocery shopping. I go and lo and behold, there's no, there's no meat or there's no toilet paper yep. or there's, or God forbid, there's no milk <laughs> for another week. Like what can well, you do? Well, that's just it. And um, supply chain is actually more, more critical than um, people think because if if you were to just stop the supply chain like today right or or before before covid started and everyone made a mad rush out to the to the stores to stock up but had that happened just like that out of the blue you're looking at um an actual measured timeline of how society will start to come apart Can you um, so, okay, so within the first 24 to 48 hours, there's this period of kind of like everything's still okay. People are uh, helping one another. You know, there's, there's a pretty good attitude out there, you know. But then as you start to get past the 48 hours, right, to that kind of 72 hours um, and a little bit beyond that, people are realizing that the amount of food they had in their pantry, which is only usually three days, um, that's, that's drying up. If they don't have running water, the bottles that they have are going empty. Right. And I'm talking about if you cut everything off, right? No water, um, no heat, no, no yeah, yeah, nothing, right? No, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you get to a point that you're, you're pushing 96 hours and there's no resupply. That's where you start to have violence. That's where people and, uh, rule of law, societal norms and stuff like that, they just start to break down and they break down very quickly uh, at that point because you have people who have kids that are hungry 
are sick, um, need medicine. You know, nobody's taking money because the stores aren't, aren't, aren't there anymore. Like there's nobody working the till, you know, mm -hmm. somebody locked it and that's just it. There's no trucks coming back. There's no fresh food anymore. You're it's, it's just what's on the shelves and then there's no more. It's like, and, like a Venezuela scenario. <laughs> yeah. Or Katrina, right? Hurricane right, Katrina. Right, right, that, yeah. That's where this kind of timeline came from. Uh, also with the American trucking association, they actually did a study about what happens if the trucks stop rolling. Gotcha. Um, just like that. And uh, that's where this timeline kind of comes from is that they just within 96 hours, um, restaurants don't have anything to feed you anymore. Uh, gas stations don't have any more fuel. Um, generators start to run dry and start like backup generators start to not backing up anymore. Um, grocery stores, shelves don't get replenished. Um, all this sort of stuff, right? And parts for uh, maintenance of utilities and things like that start to dry up okay. very quickly because our society is based very much on that logistical support and uh, that supply chain. And if it stops, uh, all these other ancillary and tertiary uh, industries just stop with it. So um, like, yeah, it's great. If trucks aren't delivering fuel, other trucks can't go and deliver anything. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. they need like, the fuel. Yeah, because if you don't have tanker trucks, um, like tractor trailers delivering a lot of fuel to a gas station, mm -hmm. Um, or a depot like Canada Post or UPS that has their own gas stations and stuff, if that's not being replenished every single day by dozens and dozens and dozens of tanker trucks, if you would just stop that, maybe they've got two days reserved. But then they're out. They're going to run dry. So when you, you get to a point that all, those, all, all that logistical support has been cut off immediately, your, your timeline really isn't that long because our society has been built on, you know, a replenishment every day. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy that our supply chains have maintained. Uh, there's been no real interruption with it. Um, I mean, sure, there was a run on certain things, like you say, like toilet paper and paper towels and stuff like that. But it's not because we, we ran out. It's because they had figured out previously, this is how much is a normal amount for us to deliver every day to a store. Right. And then that's why the company that makes it produces only so much every week. So, because they know essentially how much is going to be used. But if you clear the shelves, well, the trucks wanting to go back and fill up, they're only getting an order for whatever, a hundred widgets because that's what their weekly order is. But if you all of a sudden say, I need a thousand widgets, well, we only produced a hundred. So right. you're only going to get a hundred. We have to ramp up production and that takes a few weeks as well. So when I was at the grocery store today, um, there was, there was plenty of toilet paper and plenty of paper towel. Um, right. No problem. There, uh, the only thing I can think of that was uh, kind of iffy was the produce aisle. Mm. And it may not have every little thing that they normally would have, but for the most part, they had everything, right? You had those so, strawberries, I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So, um, you know, for the most part, it's not a big deal. It's just everybody needs to kind of take a breath and 
you know, be, be reasonable with how they deal with the situation. And I think for the most part, we're, we're doing pretty well with it. Uh, like I, I, like I said, I haven't witnessed anything in Toronto that would be, uh, that would make me think that we're, we're not dealing with it well. So, so, so far, what I hear you saying is we haven't encountered judgment day just yet. <laughs> no, it's, it's a pretty shitty apocalypse. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> but um, out of curiosity, so you, you talk about the scenario in which shit just shuts off and yeah. within, uh, within a few days, basically fuel is gone and then delivery tr- like tanker trucks can't get deliver fuel. And so no other vehicle can, vehicle can deliver. I'm still starting to slur now. <laughs> <Yeah>. no, <laughs> no other vehicle can deliver anything. There you go. <laughs> but, uh, do you, just uh, just kind of out of left field here. I, I remember watching Andrew Yang on Rogan, uh, Joe Rogan podcast talking about like uh, autonomous or electric trucks. They're kind of daisy chain and drive themselves. Can you see, do you think this will be kind of a, a catalyst? COVID will be a catalyst or do you think it will take something more severe to, to like, I mean, cause of course there's people that are employed to drive the trucks and there's an income yeah. for their family and everything. But you can see the interruption to supply chain. So do you think that there's an argument to be made here for autonomous or electric or computerized vehicles that kind of drive themselves? Um, I'd actually hadn't thought of that at all. Um, great idea. Um, but there's, there's been talk of how the world is going to get back to the new normal. Yeah. And I, th- my opinion, my personal opinion is that this event is going to be bigger than 9-11. Uh, and will have worldwide implications in the aftermath. And some of those are going to be a re-examination of things like healthcare systems. <laughs> so in Canada, we actually have a pretty good healthcare system. It's just it wasn't designed for that kind of surge. Okay, but at the same time, when we look at strategic stockpiles of um, of supplies, there those strategic stockpiles weren't based on something like this. Okay. So I think there's going to be a huge investment in healthcare, um, in those kinds of strategic stockpiles, public health, um, in essential services and logistics from a governmental side. And the government's going to look at how they can be more resilient for another event like this. Mm -hmm. That's a very positive thing. Okay. And especially here, um, you know, it's public health care system. Um, that's what our taxes go to. But I'm, I'm happy to see that our country is looking at how we can have both the federal government and provincial governments buying from within Canada to make sure that there is no interruption of those strategic supplies and that our logistical supply chains are not at risk as much and that they're able to uh, to continue going on with whatever kind of situation would it would be. Um, I'm glad that this didn't happen in the middle of winter. Oh fuck! Can you um, imagine? Because <laughs> because yeah, because ask yourself if this was end of January and we had snowstorms and it was minus thirty, um, and those trucks weren't able to make it where they needed to, right? And then more people were inside. I mean, we're still we're isolated, but it's not it's not like freezing snowstorm outside. People can still go walk outside and open their windows and that sort of stuff, which is helping with, with being able to stay healthy. But if you're, if you're cramming people into, uh, 
into homes and stuff like that and there's no airflow and that sort of thing it, it makes it a lot worse so i'm glad that it's not a winter um and i'm glad that we're able to pivot well enough and that the um uh, the governments have been able to actually get the equipment that that they need and start producing it. And a lot of the companies, uh, especially in the greater Toronto area, but across from Canada, across Canada have really retooled themselves to start making personal protective equipment uh, and uh, material for, um, for frontline workers. Uh, and, and just for, for the average people that, that, you know, like us that are stuck inside that have to go out and buy groceries, you know, so people have started, uh, making masks and gowns and, and all that sort of stuff. And it's helping shrink that, that rapid growth. And that's, that's a great thing, but I, I think it'll be a real game changer with how governments and businesses and companies start to look at how they do things, right? Because they need to be ready for another event like this, whether or not it happens at this, uh, to this scale, uh, is anyone's guess, but are they able to weather that kind of storm? Are they able to work from home? Right? Like I, I was talking to someone from my bank today. Um, and, uh, you know, he's working from home. Uh, you know, usually I'd go to the branch and talk to him, but nope, the branch is shut down completely. Everybody there is working from home. Right. right? Um, so when you call whatever service that you need, Everybody is just working from home and then they all email one another and kind of get it done. So oh, it's just, I wonder if they'll be paying rent to ha like on the corner of like a Toronto to, to, to have a bank when they realize, oh, we could do this from home and save on well, rent. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. Like what, what changes is this going to make? Because companies are going to look at it and be like, well, people, you know, we were able to successfully uh, run the business from everybody being at home. Why do we need a desk for them? You know, teleworking, you know, it, how is this going to change? And there's a lot of speculation and nobody really has an, any idea, but uh, I'm interested to see how that's going to work. And, and like you mentioned, um, like electric, you know, uh, electric autonomous vehicles, is that going to be something that will just be able to continue or is that something they're going to invest in to be able to, you know, be more resilient in, in this sort of case? So um, it'll be interesting to see how, public health changes, how travel changes. Mm. Oh um, yeah, that's a big one. The travel industry has been decimated. So many airlines are basically about to fold if they, ha if they haven't yet, right? Um, uh, the cruise industry is done. <laughs> like if you want to go on a cruise, they'll, you know, um, if they haven't folded yet, they'll take you for dirt cheap. But um, nobody wants to go on a cruise anymore because it's a, it's a Petri dish for getting sick. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of done. So how, how is that going to change tourism? How is it going to change travel? How is it going to change inter international commerce? How is it going to change all these different things? Our border is still closed with the U S right. Except for essential travel, um, which has thrown me for a loop. I had, uh, uh, engagements down in the U S that I was going to go do. Uh, one of them's been postponed indefinitely and the other one's kind of up in the air. So I don't, know how that's going to affect all that sort of stuff and uh it'll be interesting to see what that new normal is when it comes out yeah you know i've uh i've been wondering like i just <laughs> i see things going on now and i wonder how what it's going to look like for us and what the experience is going to be like in the in the not so distant future where we talked about our SERP payments so the government giving and this is happening in the united states as well uh 
you know, to, to a different degree and in the different provinces to varying degrees. But basically, because people can't work, there's government relief, there's financial relief. Um, so one thing I'll talk about is the child benefit. So in Canada, we have what is called a child benefit. I think it's the Canada child benefit. Anyway, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, it goes into my wife's account. You can, I don't get it. And she gets it. Only one person gets it. So yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's my wife that gets it. And uh, basically, they've increased it to $300 extra per month per child. So it's great because we're having three come along. So it's an extra $900 a month. But this is, we're only one household. Yeah. There's what, 30, 40 million people in Canada and how many kids in Canada and the child benefit goes out. And that's just that. Then there's like business relief and then there's EI. There's all these things that are there to kind of help people stay afloat because we're all affected by this. We can't work, people losing their jobs. So when we start getting back into the swing of things, when, once we establish what that new normal is, once we get there, I, you said you're no economist and I'm even less of an economist than you, but can you, can you speculate at all what that's going to look like? Because we're going to be in such a hole from just trying to keep our heads above water. I, I don't know kind of how we're going to get out of it unless there's like basically the world says, okay, all, that, all that's forgiven. I don't know. Yeah, how I, I mean, I, again, I'm, <laughs> I'm no economist either, but um, it, it's going to have to normalize at some point. The government, I think is just going to take a bite out of it and be like, you know what, that's, that's why we have strategic reserves. That's, you know, that's the government's job. You know, that's what I hope for. Um, you know, if a year from now they say, well, all that money we bailed you out with, you got to pay us back. Well, that's going to really suck because they need to restart the economy and you can't restart the economy with, uh, you know, behind the eight ball by just screwing mm -hmm. over the entire population. But we're not alone. Um, the entire world is affected by this. Mm -hmm. um, so we're going to see how, how production is retooled. Um, uh, a, a lot of countries are pretty pissed off with both the U.S. and China. Uh, China for uh, a great many reasons and the U.S. for stealing per, uh, personal protective equipment on the way to uh, certain countries like right. Canada and like Germany. Um, so... Uh, that were bought and paid for, by the way. So um, I think that there's going to be a change in the way that countries establish themselves uh, for, their, for their supplies and who they buy from, uh, who they get to make their products. So, uh, you know, a lot of countries are starting to look at moving their, their manufacturing or, or their suppliers from uh, the Asian markets to let's say Europe or South America because they, or even the U S because it's, it's geographically a lot closer, but also it's a little more secure um, in the way that that's going to be doled out. Right. So we'll see. And, and there's also been like quality issues and stuff like that with some stuff coming out of, um, uh, out of China at this point for personal protective equipment. Mm -hmm. uh, so we'll see how, how all that, hands out and who makes what decisions and uh and how that's going to affect both our economy and our healthcare system uh and getting people back to work because people that make a lot more than i do and are way up higher on the food chain than i am uh, make those decisions and they're going to take a lot of things into a into account uh they have access to a lot more information uh both kind of small scale but also globally and when they finally put all those pieces together in front of them, they'll 
they're going to start making decisions, but I'm hoping that it's going to be in the best interest of, uh, you know, of kind of the Canadian citizen uh, uh, and how that not only makes us more resilient and safer, but also allows us to be able to support other nations uh, if they find themselves in, uh, in a national or regional emergency, right? Because we have allies around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, if this kind of event were to happen to a country mm-hmm. uh, or a region, are we able to then take our supplies and give them to them to help them out, right? And I think that's an important part of it is that it's not just about setting ourselves up so that we can take care of ourselves, but also to be able to uh, have the capacity to help other people. So one thing Canada is really known for is disaster relief. Uh, they send uh, their the DART team, which is a disaster relief team with the Canadian military. And they usually go to places that are uh, been hit by earthquakes or tsunamis and stuff like that. And they show up with supplies, mm-hmm. to medical supplies, you know, food, water, mm-hmm. uh, shelter, all that sort of stuff. Having the capacity to help other nations is also a very important thing, at least I think as a, as a Canadian. And if we don't have access to quality equipment, quality um, supplies, but also reliable stuff, stuff that we know we can get at the drop of a hat and having that already stored or, or on order, then um, I think that's a, that's a very important thing that, uh, that our uh, policymakers need to take a look at so that they can actually create that level of resilience and that level of um, um, support for, for our allies and for other people that we would want to help. That was really fascinating uh, that you mentioned that uh, just before we got shut down and kind of told to stay at home. <laughs> yeah, I, did, I, I just like literally just as it was happening, I had finished up my last first aid uh, refresher uh, for first aid, standard CPRC, AED, basic life support, oxygen management, and airway, sorry, oxygen therapy, airway management. But our instructor was telling us at the Canadian Red Cross, when there's a disaster, like you said, the tsunami, yeah. earthquake, or whatever, anywhere in the world, they are there within 72 hours. They're completely self-reliant. They don't, yep. you know, they, don't, they don't have to wait for the government to give them A, B, or C. They're there. They set up shop, and they're doing their shit within 72 hours. And he, you mentioned Katrina before. He said that uh, our instructor told us that the Canadian Red Cross was actually at Katrina set up and, and kind of working their disaster relief before the government had even stepped in to kind of do their thing. Like, it's just oh, yeah. they, they, they work really fast, apparently, on a global scale with their volunteers. Well, and, and that's the thing, like they're, um, uh, they, they've streamlined it enough that they know what they're doing and they're, they're not, they're not politically motivated. They just want to get in there and do the job done, right. Get the job done. So, um, like I know there's the Red Cross, there's team Rubicon, uh, which is another one in Canada. Um, and around the world, team Rubicon has different uh, groups around the world, but, uh, uh, that sort of thing is, is important. And I'd, I'd really like to see Canada kind of, um, step into that role because everything from, uh, the way that the climate's changing to uh, geopolitical unrest. And now we're looking at a international, uh, worldwide kind of depression coming up, at least a recession, if not a depression, mm-hmm. um, uh, you, we may end up finding ourselves in situations where other countries are, you know, natural disaster happens, volcano blows up, you know, uh, an earthquake or, uh, you know, a tsunami or a flood or something like that. And people need help. And if Mm -hmm. we're doing okay, and we're in a position to be able to help them, 
I think we should be in that position and we should be able to render that aid. So it would be, uh, it'd be great. But also at the same time, we should be able to take care of ourselves, right? And, and our people. Uh, I watch, we're on a podcast now. I, I, yep. there's a couple of, there's a couple of podcasts out there that I listen to a lot and uh, Joe Rogan experiences one and he had an infectious disease specialist come on and he shared the story about how pandemics like this or, or disasters like this can kind of catch us with their pants down and, and show us how we need to change kind of what, the way we do things. Yeah. And uh, he, was, he, he said that there's this one facility in Panama, I believe, that like manufactured like a, lar- a vast majority of the world's saline bags. And there okay. was a her- Panama, right? So this okay. hurricane that goes through wipes out the building in Panama, and all of a sudden there's a worldwide saline bag shortage. Right? And saline <sighs> bags are like they're staples great. In, in healthcare, right? Yeah, great. So, and it, and it took a hurricane to wipe it out and expose kind of how foolish we were for that. <clears throat> um, and these pandemics or any kind of disaster, whether it be flooding, whether it be just for whatever reason your your electricity and your heat and your whatever gets shut off, your water gets shut off. It can, exp- it can catch us with our pants down on the smaller scale too. So without giving away too much information, because I want people to go and buy your book, but can you give kind of like a, like a highlights or a handful of things that people, I mean, if, if, if I'm watching this podcast and I've just been sitting on my laurels, uh, you know, up to this point, if I want to, if I decided now I want to go and kind of get my ducks in a row, cross my T's and dot my I's, what, what are a few things, important key things that I can do now to make sure that I can, sustain you know survival or 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 thrive with my you know assuming that i have a family to provide for as well and uh you know now during this covid19 or you know what can i do now to prepare for any other disaster that 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 may come okay so um sure i i'll I'll throw out a a a brief kind of um framework right so if you look at uh the way our society is built and the way that that most of us live uh so for instance, I live in a house, it has uh, internal systems in it. So I have water, plumbing, right? Um, so water coming in that I drink, potable water, but then I also have drainage and sewage going out, right? Um, I have heat in my house, okay? And I have electricity and light. So those four things, I need to, they need to be up and running, okay? So if, if the electricity is shut off, how does that affect my house? And how do I, um, how do I replace it? So what does it power? And it, are those things necessary? Okay. So for instance, if it's just light, okay. If I don't have, if, if nothing else in my house is electrically powered that I need, and I, and when I say need is different than want, right, or, or convenience, I mean need, you know, is there a CPAP machine that needs to actually be working, you know, or stuff like that, um, then I need a backup for that, okay? So what's my backup? So it could be something like a generator. It could be a solar panel that powers uh, a battery bank that you can plug into, right? So... During the day, you have you have direct current coming in, and then at night, the battery bank you know powers up your lights. Um, you know, uh, maybe runs a radio. Uh, you know, powers a small TV or or keeps your fridge running. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, heat. Okay, great. Um, if you are on a natural gas system, 
you know, you plug in your generator to the, to the furnace, but you have gas coming in because gas will keep coming in regardless if, uh, if there's a power outage or not, right? So your stove will still work. You can light it manually uh, and you can cook, right? At the same time, it's also going to heat that room, mm. right? Because fire, you know, hot, <laughs> it, you know. So you can look at how you have to back up those systems or have a backup for those systems. Water, potable water. You turn your tap, let's say, let's say only some of those systems are damaged, okay? So if there's a water main break down the street, what happens, right? Well, you should still have enough in the pipes around your house and in your house to be able to do something like fill up a bathtub with water, mm -hmm. okay? Or fill up a lot of pots and bottles and stuff like that that you can drink. Um, and then, you know, still cook from that. Uh, if you are fortunate enough to be able to use something like a rain barrel, okay? You mm -hmm. have a house, uh, you divert one of your uh, downpipes into a rain ba barrel, you always have, you know, 55 gallons of water. Now you'd have to purify that to be able to drink it. But the thing is, is that that water works for things like flushing the toilet. Okay. Mm -hmm. So condos, some condos, uh, they have an electric flush on their toilet. You've got, if you've got a power outage, you hit the button, nothing happens. Okay. But if you happen to have a balcony or something like that with an awning that you've been managed to trap some water to fill up a rain barrel for your little garden that's on your your balcony well now you have 55 gallons of water that you can then take a, a scoop of it and you can flush your toilet manually because the gravity of the water will flush your toilet yeah. it won't replenish but you just go back to your your bucket and keep using it right so if you can start to replace or back up have backups for those systems that you would lose you're going to be okay it may not be the most comfortable thing in the world but you'll yeah. be okay for something like um, for cooking or whatever, you know, you can have a small foldable like a, um, a stove or um, like a Coleman stove or something like that. Don't use it indoors without ventilation, but it's a small package or a camping stove that works on a propane tank or, or white fuel, white gas. That can work for a week. It takes up a very small footprint, but you can put a one pot meal on there. Um, and for a week, you can just have those meals and you can cook them. Yeah, you get a you know, put it on your kitchen counter or on your stove so it doesn't burn anything. Uh, but you have those options, right? So look at how you can replace what you would lose in those situations. Um, the more systems that you're reliant on, the more things you're going to have to deal with. When it comes to heat in your house, um, a lot of that shelter is already taken care of, but heat, if it's cold, you know, you, you have hopefully blankets or comforters or duvets at home and, and jackets and things like that. So you'd have to bundle up a little more in your home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no heat in this you know? garage, yeah. so I'm wearing a sweater. <laughs> that's right. Or, or you know. Yeah, that's right. Place. Yeah. So, um, so you, you have something like that. But at the same time, um, you know, do you have a fireplace? Do you have a, um, uh, you know, a, uh, some other heating source, right? The propane powered or something like that. Again. Anything that's combustible, you want to make sure you have, uh, you know, ventilation for safety's sake because of the carb carbon monoxide will will kill you, right? Mm. But how can you how can you have something to replace that system that has gone down? Yeah.
Um, so that's, that's really the, the, the premise that I start to look at is I, I look at what do you actually need and what is that situation, stuff like hygiene, you know, do you, do you need really cl um, clean potable water to, to wash yourself, you know, with a bar of soap and stuff? No, that, that rain barrel is going to be just fine. You know, mm -hmm. um, you're not going to drink it, but it'll get you clean. Right. Or baby wipes or, you know, um, whatever the situation is. So there's all these different options, but there is no one size fits all answer. Mm. So it comes down to having the ability to, to back up those systems and to be able to, uh, to deal with them as they're shut off. So if it's just a power failure, depending on your situation, you may only lose certain things, right? Um, and you may be able to back it up with just a generator or just something that's got, um, like, you know, one thing or something like that, it, it shouldn't be that big a deal because if you have something in place to back it up with already beforehand, yeah. you're not going to be one of those people running out to trying to get it. Right. So again, if you live in a, like a, a single family home, maybe you want to look at a generator. If you have a fireplace, which is a really great thing to have, um, either like an, a regular type of fireplace or, um, a wood stove insert or something like that. And you got a, half cord of wood in your backyard, you're in a pretty good situation for heating. Okay. Um, in the summer, you know, you also want to look at what the other side is, is that if there's a power failure and you have, you know, children or, or people that are kind of at health risk and it's really hot, you want to look at alternative ways to cool down your home. So, um, Things like taking a, a wet uh, towel and putting it in front of the window with the window open as the breeze comes through, it'll cool down, right? It'll help aid with cooling things down. Uh, things like that, right? So I touch on a lot of different options in the book uh, on how to take your situation, whether it's you live on a farm somewhere, which gives you a lot of options, or you're, you know, live in a 500 square foot condo on 30th floor. Right. Far fewer options there. Mm -hmm. but there still are options. You can fit all these backup supplies in a small box, um, you know, in your closet or something like that or under your bed and you can have them. If you camp, you have a lot of that stuff already taken care of. Right. So, uh, it's how you repurpose it and how you preposition it, uh, for when it's needed. Excellent. So again, uh, guys, for uh, emergency preparedness or things that you can do in a disaster, whether it be a pandemic or a flood or earthquake or you name it, then uh, check zombie out zombie apocalypse. Zombie apocalypse. <laughs> uh, Beyond the Walking Dead. Check out TrueNotreadCraft.ca. Yeah. You can get that book. You can also get it on Amazon, right? Yep. Yeah, it is on Amazon. Uh, both Amazon.ca and Amazon.com yeah. uh, in paperback and in. Um, uh, electronic format as well. Do you, um, do you currently carry stock of paperback? I do. I do have a bit of stock in paperback. Um, so, uh, you can either order it through our website, uh, or, that, uh, well, if you order through your web, yeah. I'm trying to get that. If you order it through the website, you get a signed copy is all I'm saying. Yes, that's true. <laughs> I will sign, I will sign it. How about that? Um, and, um, yeah, but, uh, especially, uh, for anyone watching overseas, it's, it's available on any of the, um, Amazon marketplaces. So, uh, uh, India, Japan, Germany, uh, UK, uh, Mexico, anywhere else it's, uh, it's available online. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's there. And, uh, as we start to move our way out of, uh, COVID isolation, uh, we're going to start 
rescheduling uh, as many of our offerings as we can. Uh, keep an eye out for Gray Man in October. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's still it's still on. Uh, for as far the as we know, of, yeah, <laughs> as far as we know, uh, and we'll also be at TACCOM in September. Um, as far as we know, <laughs> as far as we know, as long as TACCOM stays. Um, but uh, we're looking at all those options and then doing even more stuff uh, as as the restrictions are lifted. So uh, keep on uh, on the True North Tradecraft Instagram feed. Uh, also take a, stay on uh, TJ's Instagram feed and uh, and Gray Man as well. And then um, also a shout out to uh, uh, Special Products Community. Special Products Community, yeah, yep. check them out. So uh, <laughs> so, uh, so we'll we'll have. Uh, yeah, you just check them out. We'll we'll leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, so is it, is it is the Instagram handle at Special Projects Community like in full? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. Um, and um, anyways, yeah. So there's that, and then um, hoping to uh, to welcome a bunch of uh, guest instructors uh, to Canada um, as it uh, as as we have um, as we have the options. Uh, in the fall because I, I, I don't foresee them opening up the economy a hundred percent in the next, uh, the next month. So that's going to kind of kill off a lot of what we've got going on, but, uh, we are looking, uh, to put out some really great stuff. While I have you here, Boris, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't pick your brain a little bit about something. Uh, I, I volunteered with the white ribbon campaign. We're going back like to 2004, 2005, something like this. Uh, and and they fight against kind of violence against women and girls specifically. Yeah. Uh, but the the reason they started was the school shooting in at Ecole Polytechnique, and I want to say there was 1989 or 91, something like this, where. Uh, and again, I, I'm going to fuck up the stats. So people get mad at me. It was like 11 or 14 women got shot, and the teacher got shot in a class, and it was uh, it was a rifle that the guy came in, and yeah. he had he had whatever his agenda was, but. You mentioned, and this is just uh, fuck like yesterday, no? Where? Yep. Uh, yesterday, Saturday, 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 Sunday, kind yeah, of. It was a Saturday. Yeah, it was. I think it was Saturday night to Sunday. Yeah, yep. we had uh, uh, an individual in Canada, essentially, uh, and and again, I don't know all the details, so correct me if I'm wrong, but essentially, steal uh, like an R, like a, an RCMP car, <laughs> and, uh, and and kill several people uh, with a weapon, but. You had worked uh, with Transport Canada doing uh, security as a security inspector. Yeah. And you had uh, you had worked and developed, and, and I don't know how like, who adopted it officially, but you had yeah. worked and developed on an active shooter program. Yeah. Um, can you can you touch on on that a little bit and maybe some resources people can go to? Because I mean, like again, like you said, everything is COVID in the news cycle, but. And before that, it seemed like active shooter and gun control and everything like that was in the in the news. Yeah, <laughs> but regardless, um, so, of, regardless of what you think, yeah, regardless of what you think about politically, uh, these things still happen. So, how what does the layperson do now? So, uh, to to touch on the uh, the Nova Scotia massacre, um, there there's still details emerging. Uh, they haven't identified or released released all the identities of the people that have been killed. Um, uh, one RCMP officer and two correctional officers were killed, uh, one RCMP officer wounded, and then a whole bunch of people um, killed. And um, what my understanding from what the news has said uh, was that the uh, perpetrator had actually bought like a, an old decommissioned RCMP cruiser and then repainted mm-hmm. it 
Um, and he somehow acquired an RCMP uniform or parts thereof and went on this 50 mile long kind of shooting and killing spree, uh, set several houses on fire and all kinds of other stuff. So the details are very unclear right now. So I don't want to comment too much or, or speculate too much because there's like almost no details out there. Right. So any kind of speculation is kind of bullshit, right? At yeah. this point as to what happened, nobody knows how anybody was killed. Um, weapons used if you know what, nothing, there's kind of nothing out there right now. So, um, other than it's just tragic as, as yeah. all hell. So, um, uh, but when I was with transport, what had happened was, uh, we had just witnessed the uh, attacks in uh, Brussels at the Brussels airport and there was a terrorist attack there. And the question was asked, uh, well, what do we do? Mm. There's no departmental policy on um, what happens if someone comes into the airport shooting. And so I was tasked with developing a departmental kind of training program on, on that. And I did, and uh, it was delivered and uh, well-received and I, Realistically, for, for the average person, um, and we've talked about this in our training when you and I have delivered it, but basically you, you, you want to do everything you can to not be there. Mm. I know that sounds kind of you know, stupid to say, but you don't, don't want to be there. If you see something developing, start moving, right? Learn, learn the signs, learn how to identify yeah, look, it. Yeah, look, yeah. look on, uh, be aware of, of your environment and your uh, avenues of escape. Um, when you see something happening or something, you know, don't, don't second guess yourself, better your position, get away. Right. And then, um, uh, the kind of trio, uh, suggestion is run, hide if you can't run and then fight if you must. Mm. Okay. So, um, in office buildings and things like that, if you can get out, get out because putting time and distance between you and someone with a gun is the best, best option. Uh, cover and concealment. So they're not the same thing. Cover is something that will give you ballistic protection. Concealment is something that will will stop someone from seeing what you're doing or where can you I, are. Can I, can I interrupt yeah. just for a second? So what kind of materials, what kind of things will provide actual cover versus, I mean, concealment, any, any, any fucking, vis, any wall, oh, yeah, anything any, a piece paper, of paper, yeah. any, a piece of paper yep. will conceal you. But uh, what will actually cover from firearms? So depend, depending, uh, depending on what the actual firearm is or what the rounds are, um, will give you different kind of ballistic protection. Mm-hmm. But things like, um, you know, those like big concrete planters that you find outside of office buildings and stuff like that, or, or even in lobbies and whatnot, they're usually really thick concrete filled with soil, right? Those mm-hmm. types of things provide a, a lot of um, ballistic protection. Um, columns like big concrete pillars and columns will, uh, will do, will be fairly effective again, depending on the round. Um, but small arms fire for the most part should, uh, it should provide something adequate from it. Um, walls usually don't even cinder block walls are not going to give you, um, yeah. adequate protection. It, most small arms will go and make Swiss cheese out of a regular cinder block wall. So being on the other side of it doesn't necessarily guarantee you ballistic protection, uh, especially if they're rifle rounds. So, um, you know, time and distance, like I said, getting away from the engine block, a car, 
um, like sticking to where the wheels are, right? Um, but ideally the engine block um, and being at the wheel area uh, will provide more protection than anywhere inside the car. Uh, cars are made out of thin metal and will just Swiss cheese. Um, so that sort of thing. Um, any, anything, anything really big, heavy concrete, thick concrete, um, gravel, like piles of gravel or dirt are usually pretty good too. Um, that sort of thing. It's amazing um, that like concrete won't stop it or like, like a cinder block won't stop yeah. it, but like a fucking pile of sand, you're good to go. <laughs> yeah. It's it, yeah. I mean, again, depending on the size of the pile of sand, right. True, but true, I'd true. sooner take the pile of sand than not. <laughs> you know? So, um, but things like tables, uh, you know, they're, they're not going to give you a lot of, uh, guaranteed. Well, you mean uh, that protection. shit in the movies where I'm in a shootout in the club and I flip a fucking table stand behind it and I'm not going to get protected? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That that little piece of like plywood, you know, that's yeah. uh, that's that's taking like you know a hundred rounds from from an AK. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's uh, that's the thing. Is movies are just not. Yeah, just just don't. But um, <laughs> but uh, you're ideally you, you you're going to have a hard time finding. Um, real solid cover um if you uh you know if you're out in the open your regular office buildings is all that kind of like fiber partition and stuff like that it's not going to provide very much um cover at all uh, a lot of concealment sure but it's not going to be uh effective at stopping uh small arms fire so um look for things like pillars look for things like um heavy beams and whatnot if you can get behind them but uh um, planters are usually going to be a really good things. Um, yeah, planters, uh, especially outdoors are a really good, uh, place to go. Um, getting down behind, um, uh, let's say Nathan Phillips square in Toronto, there's like areas that have like elevated concrete, um, like benches and the area in between those concrete benches are filled with like flower beds and stuff like that. Getting down because they're about a foot high you lay down beside that, it's going to give you a fair amount of protection in that things like that. So think about like dirt, gravel, concrete, right? It's good. You mentioned that because Nathan Phillips square hosts like a shit ton of events. Like we had a, we like had a the Raptors, the Raptors, yeah, the Raptors uh, celebration <laughs> uh, festival. And, and I was actually, yeah. <laughs> when I was interviewed about that on CTV mornings, uh, they asked about that. I was like, well, what would you do? It's like, well, I wouldn't have been there to begin with. Um, <laughs> but if I had to be, I would have stuck with, you know, big immovable objects like, like posts, like, like planters, like bollards, that sort of thing, where the crowd, when it starts to rush, is going to have to go around that because it's mm -hmm. not moving and you're not going to get trampled, but it does provide cover, right? So, uh, and when you have the opportunity, move to the next piece mm -hmm. of cover away from the bad thing that's happening. Because again, time and distance, giving yourself more space away from that gives you more options. I talked with Kelly Sayre, a mutual friend of ours from a Diamond Air Group in Minnesota. Yep. And uh, one of the things that she does is she uh, develops emergency action plans for whatever companies, corporations, agencies. Is that something, if I'm in Canada here, Boris, and I am responsible for developing whether it be an emergency management plan, an emergency action plan, or any sort of kind of safety plan or violence prevention plan for my uh, my company, is that something that you can aid in or develop yourself? Um, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I I'd be happy to work with uh, with 
any organization that's looking at um, providing those kinds of services to their to their employees or um, to develop those types of plans. Um, uh, it's one of those things that uh, companies may not always look at. The security is a very expensive thing that doesn't have a quantifiable return most mm. of the time. So then it's usually one of the first things that gets cut mm. uh, when they're when they're looking at retooling their budgets. But um, uh, but that being said, yes, uh, if, if a company or uh, an individual is looking uh, for s- consultative services on how to develop those types of plans, I'm, of course, more than, uh, more than happy to, to, to work with them, very much open to those sorts of things. And just to put a plug in there for you, Boris, too, because <clears throat> not just when it comes to like a company developing some, some policy for how they're going inter- you know, to deal with an active shooter or a disaster or whatever – but uh, the one thing uh, Boris is, uh, w- sorry, not the one thing Boris yeah. is found, but one of the things <laughs> that Boris brings tremendous value in is home security. And uh, thank fucking God that I moved from my old house to where I am now. But, <laughs> um, I mean, you can see some old videos uh, of Boris, like uh, lock picking my old house locks. Like I had a deadbolt and a, and a knob lock. And he, basically, he's in my house in like 60 seconds or less. <laughs> you know, my fucking, all my valuables are gone in 60 seconds because he can just pick and get out. But uh, when it comes to home security and those sort of things, uh, Boris has, has a lot of value. Like when it comes to like locks, uh, windows, like just kind of kind of that, that uh, adversarial mindset you can bring to the game. Like where, what would people look at to how, how would they look to exploit you and how to kind of shore up your weaknesses? Where are you going? Uh, I'm just an adventure now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm still here. I'm still here. Um, but um, no, like absolutely. One of the, one of the things that when we, um, when we do our training and one of the uh, courses that we run is covert entry concepts. And part of that is, I mean, yeah, there's the good stuff about, um, you know, picking locks, bypassing them, uh, showing people how to, uh, how to make entries. Okay. Um, but that being said, uh, a good part of it is based on highlighting the weaknesses mm. of, of physical security in structures. Okay. And the processes that go behind it. So um, in that process, in um, the analysis of how the security goes and um, how it's developed, how it's uh, executed, how, how it's uh, implemented, that is an important element in understanding your security posture. So if you don't know what's good, what's not good, why is it not good, mm. what works, what doesn't work, and why, uh, you can't make informed decisions. That's right. Um, and not just informed decisions, but you're also not going to make the right decision for your situation. Um, you've, you've been there with me at some of the shows, and I'd highlight, you know, picking some locks and stuff like that, and someone would say, well, what's, what's a good lock? Well, <laughs> what's a good car, right? right like, right, right. It, it, what's the best car for you? What's the best lock for you, right? Mm-hmm. I can recommend, you know, a lock that's several thousands of dollars. And the guy's going to say, well, I'm, oh, I'm not paying that. Yeah, but it's, it's for like missile silos. Like, obviously, it's not going to be the right one for your house. Yeah, you, you, don't need so, it, you don't need that for your beer fridge. <laughs> that, that's right. That's right. So what is the appropriate 
um, level for you and what are you trying to protect against? And so when you understand the different levels and the, 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 that matrix, that threat matrix and how, how it um, corresponds to physical security and you know what the gaps are in physical security, why something is good versus why it's not, then you can make an informed decision as to, well, yeah, I can, you know, I'm protecting, um, you know, a hundred dollar, whatever, hundred dollars worth of valuables. I don't need a thousand dollar lock, you know, something that's 30 bucks will do because it has these features. It has this, but if I'm protecting something worth several thousands of dollars, maybe I want to invest a hundred dollars in a lock, a really good one. You know, I have, um, I have two small travel padlocks. They're a hundred bucks a piece. They're kind of expensive for what it, when you look at it, oh, it's a little padlock, but what am I getting for that? It protects my entire business essentially, right? (laughs) I got two on my travel case with all my travel gear uh, and training gear. So that's pretty valuable to me. So it's worth the investment of $200 to know that no one's going to be able to pick it. No one's going to be able to shim it. Nobody's going to be able to bypass it. And if they want to cut through it, they're going to have a harder time cutting through the lock than the actual container. that They might as well just store your fucking case right in the fucking lake. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And it floats, right? So, I mean, that's good too. By the way, just a a, a shout out there. uh, Sorry to interrupt. Just a shout out to, because I have the same case as you in the same color. Nanook. (laughs) Uh, Nanook uh, cases. They're absolutely incredible. I use them mostly for photography. But when we do the trade shows, when I do them with Boris, I put all my uh, business stuff in there. So uh, the, the protective cases for, for guns, for cameras, or for virtually anything you need to keep protected, then cases yeah. are to go. And by the way, manufactured in Canada. That's right. That's right. And uh, wait, they're less expensive than Pelican cases, but right. at least as good, if not better. That's right. Um, I, I love my case. My entire training kit fits inside it. And, um, and it, it's, it's fantastic. It's the um, Nanak, Nanak uh, 935 for anybody those wondering. 935. What's, yeah. What I love about it, Boris, and this is what you, uh, sold me on it for you, uh, is when I travel now, and I, I had the, the luxury of traveling to Oregon with it. It's, I didn't bring a, a, a checked bag, bag just to carry on, and it's, uh, it's carry-on size. It has an ex- it has, it's on wheels. It's an yep. expandable handle, and you can sit on it. It's like a makeshift chair as well if you need, or a makeshift ottoman if you need, and it's a hard case. It's just absolutely wonderful. So sorry to derail your conversation. There, no, no, absolutely. I want to give I, a shout-out. <laughs> I really do like the case. Um, it's, it's fantastic, and I actually want to buy another one. Yeah. Um, and and I was, <laughs> I was waiting. Well, you know what? It's kind of weird. Um, I was waiting for the, uh, already for the, the sportsman show here in Toronto, which was canceled. Right. Um, did you get a refund on that? Did, did uh, they issue refunds <laughs> or did they just take your money? Uh, no, nope, take your money and run. Yeah. They're, they're, they're like, Oh, well, um, we're not given refunds and that's just too bad. So we'll see what we'll do with it. So, um, I, I'm my, my son, <laughs> yeah, we haven't, uh, I haven't heard as to what the actual disposition is going to be yet. Um, but, uh, it looks like it's just, they're going to honor everybody's, um, uh, fees and the, the next, next year time, or whatever, the next time they run it, whenever that is, if it's next year or if, if it's just postponed to something later this year, um, people just kind of show up that paid. Right. I guess blue lines out of the question right now too, cause that was blue April 21st. Was, uh, that's they were talking about rescheduling it, the Blue Line Expo. I think they were looking at a date in July. Okay. Um, if I'm not mistaken, um, uh, I'd have to double check on that. 
Um, but yeah, I think uh, that was again all ready to go, and um, yeah, so that was also postponed, which is really frustrating because I was very much looking forward to uh, uh, to attending that, to to you know being a, a vendor there, and um, to be able to to deal with more with the the government law enforcement um, crowd. Uh, so yeah, but uh, I think they're looking at something in July, but. Uh, your guess is as good as mine if that's going to happen or not, right? Yeah. So, so sorry, sorry to cut you off there. You're, you're talking about locks and protecting and kind of the equipment yeah. they need for home security. Yeah. So uh, anyway, getting back to that. So that's that's what I try and give people is that that um, knowledge about physical security because our entire society is based on locks, essentially, uh, either allowing or disallowing uh, access, right? Mm-hmm. So. Um, like only only people with permission are able to make that access, right? So only people with the key are allowed to take your car, right? Only a lot, the people who own your house are supposed to be able to get into it, right? That sort of thing. So um, when you understand the mechanics of what those systems are and why things work and they don't, you're able to make those choices. But also, it's kind of cool to see how they're bypassed, how bad guys bypass them and get around them. So again, you can make informed decisions to know what the threats are and what steps to take to, to counter those. So um, uh, one really great resource, if you want to l- learn about picking locks, uh, you can uh, check out the YouTube channel for um, my friend, the lock picking lawyer. Uh, you can go on there. He's got uh, ton of videos he basically just eats up every single lock that he comes up against um and uh it's he's just an absolute wizard um so yeah check him out if you want to learn about lock picking if you want to see a a real master um of the craft uh working uh he's such a pleasure to to know and to to learn from but uh, if you want to you want to see some really great stuff and really learn some some interesting things and get some really great tips lock picking lawyer is the guy for it um so yeah cool well boris uh, i'm gonna uh i'm probably gonna shut her down now i i just look at my watch a minute ago and i realized <laughs> I, I gotta get up for work in just a few short hours so work uh, isn't it closed like geez yeah, I'm, I'm an, uh, i know I'm, you're i'm essential <laughs> yes you are yes you are but um, uh you can find Boris on Instagram at True North Tradecraft. You can get him on his website at truenorthtradecraft.ca. I, I think yep. those are kind of the two main kind of avenues. By which yeah, everything you, else but, goes from there, yeah. But uh, also, I, I wore this special for you. My, oh, maple, yes. my maple shirt mafia shirt. Yes, you, so of course, <laughs> no, no, uh, no uh, pitch is, uh, is complete without a shout out to the Maple Syrup Mafia. What yes, the fuck uh, is the Maple Syrup Mafia? Because people are seeing it on Instagram. What is it? What is so it? So the Maple Syrup Mafia is a, collect, a loose, collection, loose collective of, um, of uh, professionals that don't take themselves too seriously up here in Canada. But um, we, like to, uh, we like to share the, uh, you know, the good information for one another. Uh, Everything from uh, combatives to everyday carry to survival uh, to other hood rat shit, and um, you know we uh, uh, put out some uh, some cool swag for that. So right now we have. Uh, oh oh oh! oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Miami Magnum. 
<laughs> so uh, we got the raccoon there, but also Otter oh, that's S. Right. Thompson. That's right. Otter that's right. S. Thompson has come out as well. So um, you can check out uh, the t-shirts with the uh, with the raccoon, and the otter has just landed. So um, now, yeah, got, so we got some of that stuff going on. I don't, uh, those people around the world that don't know what the fuck a raccoon is or have never encountered one, these things are trash just panda. Beast. Yeah, we call them a trash panda. I gotta tell, and I gotta. It's a video on my phone. I'm gonna uh, edit it for length and put it up, and I'll tag you in it, and I'll tag Maple Syrup Mafia in it. But the other night we had some raccoons here, and we have a green, one of those green bins that are on wheels, and they have the yep. little latch for the lid. And cat's like, "Hey, the raccoons are here, getting into our green bin." And uh, cat doesn't like them tearing through the bags, so he just puts all the shit in the green bin with no bags. So when they dip it over, it just goes like, I, I get up in the morning for work at four, I leave at five, and I, I step out the door, and I'm like, there's fucking eggshells and coffee grinds everywhere and dog oh, yeah. shit everywhere, and I'm like, you there's fucking nothing, raccoons. There's nothing they can't. Um... It's not a raccoon. It's my cat. Yeah, who's that? What's his name? Her name. Oh, she's gone. Her name is Julia. She didn't want to get picked up, but she kept coming by on the string and she started chewing on it. It's been kind of irritating. Fucking Julia. Um, <laughs> yeah. She was scratching at the door. That's what I, I had to go and open the door. Uh, but uh, so it was, yeah, it was getting irritating. Yeah. But, so, um, so these, these yeah. raccoons come in. They're taking it. We, so we put a, uh, what we did is we put a bungee cord from the handle to like the latch. So it yep. goes from one end underneath all the way to the other end. So there's no way they can open it. Right. But there's now it's like a bungee cord. That's what you think. They're like, oh, <laughs> seriously, they're smart. So there's two of these raccoons. They're pulling the bungee cord. Right. They take the fucking green bin halfway down the driveway. I'm like, all right, I got to go deal with this. Cat's like, don't hurt them. I'm like, I'm going to crush their skulls. So she's like, don't hurt them. They're so cute. It's so funny. So I go over with my like flashlight, I'm strobing them, they run away. I take the thing, I get a couple of rocks from the garden, I put it on top, I'm like, let's see them open it now. As soon as they come inside, they're back. They pull it over, the rocks fall, they're taking it again. I'm like, you assholes. So I, I come into my uh, the gym here, I get a little boken, which is like a wooden training sword, and I'm like yeah. banging it on the ground, they run away. I take it, I put it back. I, I bring it up to the house, we have three, uh, excuse me, three blue boxes. The recycling bins yeah uh, and we don't have like the big toronto ones we just have the actual just like little box yeah so we have one that's right against the house that i put the green bin inside of it put rocks on top of it i'm like let's see you bastards get at that now the next morning bro the green bin is halfway across the lawn the rocks are on the ground and our blue bin was tipped over and the recycling was spread everywhere they're like fuck this guy i'm gonna show him and well, uh, they're just ingenious these things well, that's, that's just it. The, um, that's, that's what we, that's why we like that raccoon because, uh, they're <laughs> cute, cuddly, cunning, and they will fight you also. So, I mean, um, you know, when it comes to doing things like, um, covert entries, you know, um, raccoons are, doesn't get they're much smart. better than that. They they're are smart. smart. They will get into anything. They are the tops. So, uh, uh, part of why, uh, part of why they're, uh, they're the maple syrup ma mafia, uh, mascot there. So, yeah, but, um, but the story behind Hunter S. Otter, uh, comes from, uh, you know, otters may seem all cute and stuff like that, but they're, uh, they're pretty vicious as well. Uh, yeah, just like and, the, and, uh, and they're both Canadian animals, no? And they're both Canadian animals. Exactly. Sure. Just the maple yeah. syrup mafia. That's right. That's right. The uh, the most hardcore uh, mafia there is. So yeah, I still I still I still want to put it out there that you got to get at some point a Canada goose in there because I think there's uh, they're vicious. A 
uh, and a Canadian animal. I was looking at I'd, maybe you gotta, you gotta check out my favorite Instagram account uh, of all time is Nature Is Metal. Okay. And uh, they had uh, he published a story today where a Canada goose was attacking some fucking woman, and she gets into the car like an Uber comes to pick her up. She gets in the car, and then the goose gets in the car with her, <laughs> and then they all like leave the car. You see the goose like be thrown out of the vehicle. It was epic, but they were absolutely vicious. And like people talk, think our Canadians are like super nice and super polite, but they just don't know our wildlife. Our wildlife is ultra vicious. And <laughs> yeah, and my my American friends all hate Canadian geese. They hate them like nobody's business. Except we can't really shoot them, and they can. All right. So um, serious yeah. question, and and I think I know what I think this answer would be. In a death match, Canada goose, bald eagle, the American insignia. Who wins? I don't know, dude. I'm I'm gonna say having seen a bald eagle up close, they're very big and very scary. Yeah, I think bald eagle. I, takes I, I'd I'd have to say the bald eagle. Um, you know, as much as go Canada, um, you know, and many bald eagles live in Canada. Um, I, I'd I'd have to go bald eagle because um, yeah, yeah. I'm with you on that. Like they're. they're like the goose claws, is the goose, dude. Claws, the ta- yeah, and ta- dude. you know, talons a and a beak, you know. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah man. But uh, I think size matters. For, yeah, <laughs> but I think as far as being like a pissed off, grumpy creature, Canada goose hand hands down. Yeah, that one, yeah. Like, bald eagles will fuck you up because they can, but Canada Canadian geese will just fuck you up because it's Tuesday. <laughs> that's right. Like a like a you know like a drunk guy in Queen West, you know. <laughs> exactly. Oh man. Sir, so so uh, at Trino Tradecraft on Instagram, trinotradecraft.ca. Uh, check it, Boris out on Amazon. The uh, emergency, dis- emergency prepared. Sorry, disaster preparedness guide. Yeah, disaster preparedness. Put that up again. There it is. Trino Tradecraft disaster preparedness guide by Boris Malikovich on Amazon. Or if you want a signed copy, go to trinotradecraft.ca. Or you can message Boris at is it into at trinotradecraft.ca. Yep, yeah, or through Instagram, that's okay. fine too. Um, send a DM to Boris through Instagram or send him an email if you want to get your hands on an autographed copy because I would. Because we can. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because we can. Why not? Yeah. And, uh, and don't forget, uh, both uh, to all the, uh, all the people tuning in, check out Grayman. Uh, mm. So Grayman Security, at Grayman Security on Instagram. That's, that's all right. the updates for uh, the amazing conference, uh, our second annual, gonna, uh, coming in in October. So uh, six really fantastic instructors, myself and you included, uh, but the other four really fantastic, all, all four instructors coming back again. Uh, we're going to try and bring in a little bit more. We have a few other surprises coming. Uh, so a lot going on there as well as, uh, as TACCOM. And uh, we're also looking at a couple joint uh, workshops, you and I, TJ, uh, in the fall and uh, and early winter as well, right? So um, that's right. A lot of lot of stuff coming out, and um, the pandemic measures guide will be coming out in the next couple of days. Yeah. Um, will that so be on are, Amazon as well, or that should your website? Uh, yeah. No, no, it'll be on on Amazon. It'll be on Kindle. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's all going to be coming out. Look out for the uh, uh, the announcement for that. But it's just uh, you got the advanced copy, so just finishing cool. up the last little bits of it uh, before it goes out there. I'll put this out to you now just while we're on this podcast. And again, nothing in stone yet, yeah. <laughs> but uh, the planets are aligning. I have a friend that, that Kat and I stayed with him when we were on our honeymoon in Ireland in 2017. And he and his family moved to Portugal. And the Portugal real estate is, it's a whole other thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so cheap right now. But they bought basically a hotel in this beautiful mountainous national park. 
um, nice. with like several rooms, pool, on this beautiful like landscape of mountains. And we're looking at putting together a combatants camp where kind of like a gray man international kind of thing. Kind of and cool. uh, once the pandemic calms down, obviously, and we're looking at piecing that together, but they have the property. Um, so we're looking at putting that together. So a one-stop shop, the accommodations, the food, the everything will be on site. It's Portugal, so people can do their beach days and stuff like that. But we're looking at putting together something like that for kind of like a week. Can I interest you in being one of the presenters, Boris? I would love to. I would be honored. <laughs> Thank you. That sounds like Excellent. a really fantastic uh, opportunity, and uh, we could really uh, put a lot of great stuff out there. I think so. I think so. Boris, thanks for being on. I really appreciate your time. And Thank uh, you for having me, TJ. And uh, keep up the awesome work uh, on, your, uh, on your channels. Thank you. The uh, Patreon that you have going on, uh, all the, the great lessons that you got going on there. Patreon.com slash Kennedy Tactical. <laughs> there you go. Um, and, uh, and yeah, keep up the amazing work. And uh, thank you very much for having me. And uh, stay safe, everybody. Uh, just, uh, you know, keep it together. Uh, this will all be over soon. And uh, we'll all be back to uh, the new normal soon. Boris Malinkovich, TrunoTradeCraft.ca, Bearded Warrior. <laughs> thank you, sir, very much. And uh, enjoy your night, and uh, I will. Uh, I'll see you once all this shit calms down, and we can actually give each other a hug in real life. <laughs> Sounds good. We'll have to catch up uh, over some uh, some food and drinks. Yes, sir. So. All right, pleasure. Thank take, you. Take care, TJ. Thanks so much.